Today's passage is one of my favorite types of scripture of all because it's a story. And I just love stories because I love to picture what's taken place and what's going on. And I love to picture myself in it. And it just seemed easy to understand for me. And that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Whenever you read a story in the scripture, you're supposed to stop, picture it. What does this look like? What would it be like if I was there? Because then it comes through and you understand the emotional impact. And when, you know, Jesus spoke in stories, and if you have that emotional impact along with the knowledge, it seems to just stick with us. So, I just want to pray before we start. Father God, we have seen you, I have seen you at work this morning already. We have seen you at work already this morning. Your Holy Spirit is already here before I ever begin to preach. This is your word. This is what you want us to learn. So Holy Spirit, since you're already here, I ask that you'll be here in might. I ask that you'll be here in strength, just in power. Just let us know. Just bring this so deep, so far down, that we never forget what you are teaching us in this story, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 28. We're going to read through 40. It's called the triumphal entry. Uh, probably have that written in your Bible. It says this, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and to Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you'll find a colt tied which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. This is his last week. He came on earth that he's lived as man, and his whole earthly life has been geared for this one week. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he will be crucified. So the story tells us how he entered that last week. How did he enter it? On a donkey, on a colt. Sounds funny, right? Because you you think Jesus, the king of all heaven, the king of all earth, would come in this magnificent stallion, but he comes on a colt. The colt was a sign of, the stallion, the great big horse, was a sign of war. The colt would have been a sign of peace. Zechariah 9.9 tells us that this is according to God's plan. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. And this was, this was written in the Old Testament, and these people are seeing this prophecy come true that morning. So we want to go slow today. We want to see how all of this took place and this happened. So let's stop and think about what's going on. He takes two of his disciples, and he tells them to go into the city. 
And he says, look, you're going to go on there and you're going to find a colt and he's going to be tied up. Never been ridden before. So he tells him to take the colt, to untie it, and to bring it to him. And I picture these guys listening to him, and it probably seemed odd, right? And I can kind of picture him saying, how can he know all this stuff? How can he possibly know that there's going to be a colt tied up? And before they even finish that thought, he's saying that someone's going to confront him. And if anyone confronts him, tell him that I told you that I need this. And, of course, I picture myself in my shoes, right? And what would I say? I'd say, are you sure you want me to go? Right? What about, what about like James and John? I hate conflict. These guys love conflict. Remember when they said, Kid, should we call down thunder and lightning or fire? Should we call down fire because of that? So we don't really know who went. It certainly could have been James and John who went. text doesn't, doesn't say. But two of the disciples go in. And they find everything exactly like Jesus told them it would be. There's the colt. He's tied up. So they untie the colt. And sure enough, as soon as they untie it, someone confronts them. Someone comes up and says, what are you doing? What are you doing with the colt? And so they say, the Lord has need of it. And the people let him take the colt. Everything that Jesus said would happen, happened exactly like he said it would happen. So just pause there and think about it. Jesus knows everything. God knows everything. God is omniscient. We have a slide for this. J.C. Ryle says this. He points this out when he's talking and when he's thinking about um, God's omniscient. He says, The thought of Christ's perfect knowledge should alarm sinners and awaken them to repentance. They may deceive men all their life long, but they cannot deceive Christ. And the thought of Christ's perfect knowledge should comfort all true-hearted Christians and quicken them to increased diligence in good works. He knows where they dwell and what their daily trials are. Jesus knows it all together. So, they take the colt. They bring it back to Jesus. And they put their coats on it. And they set Jesus on it. It's not good enough for them that Jesus sits on a bare-backed donkey. They want to put something on there. All they have is their coats, so they put their coats on them. Jesus begins riding down. He's riding down on this donkey with their coats on it. And that isn't good enough. They start taking their coats and throw it on the ground in front of the donkey so that the donkey itself isn't even touching the ground. The feet of the colt aren't even touching the ground, but it's walking over these coats. And more and more people join in. And they began running in the fields and cutting down these leafy branches, these palms, and bringing those back out and setting those on the road so the donkey can, or the colt continues to walk on that. And they weren't silent at all. They were loud. They were shouting. They were saying, Praise in heaven, glory in the highest. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Can you imagine what this looks like, okay? Stop even more. Close your eyes if you need to. Try and think of what this looks like. Because I'm sure that there were men there. I'm sure that there were women there. I'm sure that there were children there. They were old and they were, they were young. I can picture first the kids, right? I can picture the kids just running in circles, running in front of the donkey or the colt, running behind it, not even know what they're running for. They're just all caught up in excitement, caught up in enthusiasm, just running, just running around right there. And remember the man who came to Jesus, or came to his disciples, and his son uh, was sick, uh, or, uh, and he asked the disciples to heal him. 
The disciples couldn't do it. So he goes to Jesus. And he says, I asked your disciples. They couldn't do it. So Jesus heals them. I picture that boy being there. And picture the, the daughter of the Canaanite woman who was healed as well. I picture her being there. And I picture these two little kids, right? I picture the girl, she's got flowers in her hair. I picture the little boy, he's got a little wooden sword. He's like fighting off dragons for her. You know, and they're, they're, they're right there and they're celebrating. And I, I kind of wondered, you think those two ever got married? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. As different as could possibly be, right? But they're bonded. They're bonded because Jesus Christ has healed them. They're bonded here and they're bonded in heaven as well. And so I can picture these young people as well out there. And I'm picturing these are probably the young people who are running in and out of the fields and getting the palm leaves, right? Because they're probably the ones who have the energy. I picture them running in, cutting them down, putting them down. They're running back in, cutting them down in there. Remember the paralytic who was healed by Christ. His four friends carried him up onto the roof. They cut the hole in there. They lowered him down. Jesus healed him. He said, take up your mat and go home. I picture these four guys there running back and forth. And I picture the paralytic there with his brand new legs. And I picture him running faster and running harder than anyone in. I picture him running out, getting the brushes, running back, just like this, just sheer joy and glory that he can run, that he can give any sacrifice to Jesus that he can because of what Jesus had had done. You know what else I picture there is I picture the men, right? Men are usually stirred. <laughs> At least if you come from Minnesota anyway, you're always standing like that. So, so, but I picture these guys, right? And I can picture their arms wagging around. They don't even know what to do with their arms, yet today they're just all over the place. And I can picture these guys just... Their grins so wide open, smiling like they've never before. Their faces hurt for muscles that have never been used before at all. And I picture the two blind men there. The two blind men who Jesus healed, just gazing at everything, just looking at everything, just trying to take everything in. And I picture them talking to each other and saying, Remember sitting there crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he healed us and he told us not to tell anybody? <laughs> Like we're blind, we can now see like we're not going to tell anybody, right? We told everybody in sight. But I can picture them there. And I can picture the women there, too. I can picture them smiling. I can keep them, picture them laughing. I can picture them walking hand in hand and just giving up trying to take care of the kids, right? The kids are all over. They, they just give up. And you know who else I can picture there? The woman who had the bleeding problem for 12 years. You know, that bleeding problem, she was outcast from society. She was unclean. She couldn't stay with the crowds. She was outcast. But today she's with them. I can picture her healed. She, she went up through the crowd to Jesus and she said, if I just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And Jesus healed her. And I can picture here today tears of joy streaming down her eyes. Can life get any better? To be with Jesus. To be with his people, praising Jesus, praising God for all that they had done. And I can picture the old ones there, too, with a spring in their steps that they haven't had for years. The Holy Spirit giving them strength that they can't even remember ever having. And I remember the little kids, or I remember, <laughs> see how clear I see this? I didn't actually remember it. I wasn't there. <laughs> I can picture this, though. <laughs> I can picture the old people there. And I, I can picture the little kids just coming up, giving them a hug, a big toothy grin, and then just like running, running back off. And you know who else I picture there? I picture the widow 
whose son had died and Christ raised again. And I can picture her looking there. I can see her looking to Christ. I can see her looking to her son. I can see her looking to Christ again. And I can see her just tears streaming down her eyes. How much more can I take, Jesus? This is too much joy. Hold back your blessing. And I can picture her son out of the corner of eyes seeing that, stalking, stopping in his conversation, running over, grabbing his mother, giving her just a big bear hug, both crying, both praising Jesus for what he has done. And I picture Jesus looking down, and I picture him smiling. These are his children, and they are shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father. Blessing is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. Praise God when you can with all your heart. With all your soul. Praise God. Praise God during the happy times. Praise God during these times of celebration. Remember a few years ago, my family's in Minnesota. We're out here. We've been out here for 21 years, so we don't get to see them that often. But I remember a couple years back, we were out. And but all my sisters, all my, or my brother, my family, the grandkids, they were all there. And we're just having a great time. We're laughing. We're telling jokes. We're, you know, eating. We're doing all this. And I look around, and I don't see my dad. I'm like, where's my dad? And so I leave, and I go to find, look for him, and I find him. He's downstairs. He's in a chair by himself in tears. And I say, Dad, what's wrong? He says, nothing. He said, I was praying, and I was thanking God for what he did. He said, my wife is saved. All of my children are saved. All of my grandchildren are saved. He said it was too much. He said it was overwhelming. He said, God, why are you so good to me? What have I done to possibly deserve this? He said nothing at all. He was praising God. Praise God with all your heart whenever you can. There are times when we feel like we can't. There are times when our worries and our fears overtake us. There are times when the darkness of depression blinds us to everything that's outside of ourselves. But even during these times, as much as you are able, praise God, there is a better life ahead. There is heaven in store for you where none of these things that you're struggling with can follow you. They cannot get there. Heaven is in store. And praising God is, it is one of the ways that we dig out of this depression where we are so focused in on ourselves. It's one of the ways that we take that focus off of ourselves. These times don't last forever. The sun will shine. You'll feel the warmth of the sun again. And praise God. Try to think during these times, what is it that God has done and what is it that is in store for you? We can look back during those times. We can look forward during those times. Sometimes we don't want to look at the times that we're in. But look back. Look forward. Praise God for those things. You know, for some of us, we don't ever really feel like we praise God. 
Or we don't feel like we feel enough to praise God. And we wonder if we're ever really going to feel like praising God. We know God. We know Jesus. We're no, we know that we are saved beyond a shadow of a doubt. But we just don't have that feeling of praise. And we don't... We wonder, will we ever praise God like the people in this story did? Will we ever be like these people? But stop and think about it for a minute, right? Have we ever... In the Bible, before this time, seen the disciples do this? Or the crowds do this before this time? The disciples have been with him for three years, right? Never once have they put their jackets on the ground before him. The crowds have been there. Never once have they thrown palm branches before there. Never once have the rocks threatened to cry out and praise God before this time. There is something that is clearly special going on. This is clearly from the Holy Spirit. This is clearly a time where they have gotten this glimpse of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, who he really is. And someday we will see him face to face. Someday we will see him as he really is. Someday we will know him. And we will know who he really is. And yes, when we first see him, we will come undone. And yes, we will be full of tears and regret for those things that we have done and for those things that we haven't done. But at that time, we are going to see Jesus forgive our sins. And we will know what that means fully, that he has forgiven our sins. And at that time, we will praise him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. According to 2 Thessalonians 1.10, when he comes on that day, he will be glorified in his saints, and he will be marveled at by all who have believed. If you still doubt that you're going to worship and praise him, let's look at Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. We have an overhead for this. John gets a glimpse into heaven, and he tells us what he sees. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You will be in that number. You will have palm branches in your hands. You will praise God. To sum up this section on praise, let's listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this. He says, Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is to say, without ceasing. Let us make an analogy to that which says pray without ceasing and say praise without ceasing. We are to praise the Lord our God, not only in this place or that place, but in every place. Not only when we are in a happy frame of mind, but when we are downcast and troubled. The perfumed smoke from the altar of incense is to rise toward heaven both day and night, from the beginning of the year to the year's end. 
Before we get back to the story, we want to take it one more small peek. And we want to stop and think about this, right? Because what are things usually like in the Bible? Why is this different? Doesn't it seem strange, a strange way for Jesus to make an entry into Jerusalem? Doesn't it seem like he normally does the opposite of that? He normally tells people, don't say anything. The reason is, he does everything in his time. Before that, it wasn't his time. But now, today... It's his time. Let's listen to J.C. Ryle. He says this. He says, The whole history is strikingly unlike the general tenor of our Lord's life. On other occasions, we see him withdrawing from public observation, retiring into the wilderness, charging those whom he healed to tell no man what he has done. On the present occasion, all is changed. Reserve is completely thrown aside, and he seems to court public notice. He appears desirous that all should see him and should mark and note and observe what he did. He knew that the time had come when he was to die for sinners on the cross. His work as the great prophet, so far as earthly ministry was concerned, was almost finished and completed. His work as a sacrifice for sin and substitute for sinners remained to be accomplished. And before giving himself up as a sacrifice, he decided to draw the attention of the whole Jewish nation to himself. The Lamb of God was about to be slain. The great sin offering was about to be killed. It was fit that the eyes of all Israel should be fixed upon him. This great thing was not to be done in a corner. So let's get back to the story. They're all praising Jesus. They're shouting with joy. They're throwing down their coats. They're throwing down the palm branches. We've got men. We've got women. We've got children. And then some Pharisees come, right? Can't you just picture these guys? It seems like they're always in these times. And I can just picture these guys too, right? They're looking down at the chaos and what do they see? Through their eyes, what do they see? They see dirt-smeared little kids running all around. They see teenagers tearing up the fields. Men laughing like children with no shame. Women arm in arm. Old people hobbling along. And all of them are saying... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father. Don't they know that this was reserved for the Messiah? Only the Messiah should get this, not this thorn in their sides. And so they yelled to Jesus, above all the noise, above all the shouts, they yelled to him, Teacher, rebuke your children, your disciples. And I can picture Jesus smiling, looking down at him, and saying, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. What more does he need to say? It's over. Argument's done. We're moving on. You know, the Pharisees were right in one way. They were waiting for the Messiah. What these people were saying could only apply to the Messiah. And if these people were wrong, if Christ wasn't the Messiah, then what they were doing was wrong. But the Pharisees were wrong because they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. That's where the problem was. They saw the miracles. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame to walk. He raised them from the dead. And still, they refused to believe. Now, it is true that maybe the people didn't understand completely what was going on. And maybe they did think it was just a political kingdom and Christ would just be an earthly king and they would just live happily ever after. And so they probably didn't really understand what was going on. But the question is, what did they understand? They understood this. 
they understood what Jesus had done for them. And they praised God because of the things that they did know. We can't praise God for what we don't know any more than these people could praise God for what they don't know. But we can praise God for the things that we know just like they praise God for the things that they know. What do we know? We know that he forgave our sins. We know that he will be with us always. We know that he will never leave us. We know that he'll never forsake us. We know that he will bring us to heaven and we will be with him one day forever. So this procession goes down the mountain. The mountain is 2,500 feet, sits 200 feet above Jerusalem. It's full of olives. olives. They're going down, and they come around the corner. And they see the city. They see Jerusalem. They see the holy city, the city that God made his capital on earth. This is the city that a nation of priests is to come from. And Jesus looks at it, and he sees it. And amidst all the rejoicing... Amidst all the people praising, amongst the children running, the men smiling, the women, laugh, women laughing, he sees it. He sees Jerusalem, and he weeps. He weeps amidst all this joy, among all this praising, among all this glory, he weeps. Luke 19, the next four verses, 41 through 44, say this. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had, made, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. This view of Jerusalem should have made Jesus' heart sore. He should have smiled the biggest smile he could. He should have laughed out loud in joy. He should have scooped up a little child. He should have held him in his arms and he said, Look at this. This is Jerusalem. This is God's city, full of his children. But instead he weeps. Why? Because they rejected him. They rejected God. And now all these things are hidden from them. He said, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Nothing is hidden from Jesus' eyes. Not even a colt tied up in a city. But these things are hidden from their eyes. And Jesus weeps. He knows everything that will now happen. And 40 years later, Jerusalem is attacked. The city is destroyed and the people are scattered. Luke tells us three different times that Jesus laments over Jerusalem. Before this, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would have I gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. Jesus' heart breaks for these ones, these ones that would kill him, these ones that reject him, because he loves them. Let's look at John 3:16 through 18. 
says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. They didn't believe. They didn't know the time of their visitation. They didn't know the things that make for peace. When Jesus was born, the angels cried out on earth, Peace among those whom he is pleased. When his disciples are going, when he's going to Jerusalem down this Mount of Olives, his disciples cry out, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But these people in Jerusalem didn't know the things that make for peace. Do you know the things that make for peace? Does your family know the things that make for peace? Do the people at your work know the things that make for peace? What makes for peace? Jesus Christ. We are enemies of God. We have sinned against Him. Deep down we all know this. We know that we have sinned. We know that we deserve this punishment. But Jesus said, I'll take the punishment from you. He will forgive your sins. He will remove the guilt. He will make you clean again. When is the last time that you really felt clean? Jesus will make you clean. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask him to give you the faith in order to believe him. Jesus said they didn't know their time of his visitation. That's a scary thought. There's only so much time. And when the time is gone, the time is gone. Hebrews said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He has only set a certain amount of time. If you don't have faith, ask him. He loves you. He weeps over you. Repent and confess your sins. Be certain of this. If you will not have faith in Jesus, if you will not believe in him, if you will not ask him to forgive your sins, you will be destroyed, just as Jerusalem was. Not a single stone on top of another when it was done. It's like those pictures of a tornado after it's gone through the town and it's level. There's nothing left. But Jesus is saying, I will save you. Believe in me. Repent. Confess your sins. Now is the time. Today is the day. Now, if you are saved, pray that God will give you the same heart that he gave Jesus. When was the last time that you wept for someone you knew was destined for destruction? If you're not one who cries easily or ever, when was the last time you wanted to gather them up like a hen gathers her chicks in her wings? Pray that God would help us here at King and Grace. I have been so convicted of this lately. I've been reading this biography by a guy named Ichabod Spencer. I think he always laughs whenever she hears that name. But Ichabod Spencer, he was a pastor in Brooklyn in the mid-1800s. Under his ministry, he was a ministry there, actually at Jonathan Edwards Church, whatever that one's called, for three and a half years, then in Brooklyn after that. And during his 26 years, 682 people became Christians at the church that he was pastor at, 26 years. And listen to the comment that his biographer says about, how, about his witnessing. He says, he studied particular people that he might know how to approach them and gain an influence over them. And once a sinner found him on his track, Pursuing hard after him, it was vain to flee and hard to get away from his grasp. He didn't give up. 
He was relentless in pursuing people to tell them, Jesus died to forgive your sins. If you repent, if you confess, Jesus will forgive you. And I am praying that I will do this. I am praying that Pastor Paul will do this. I am praying that David Ross will do this. I am praying that Phil Lowther will do this. I am praying that all of our leaders will do this. And I am praying that you will do this as well. Jesus stopped amidst all this praising, all these saved people. He stopped and he wept because he saw a lost sheep. And I am praying that we will do the same thing, that we will look for lost sheep, that we will bring them to Christ. No, we won't save them. Save them. Christ saves them. But we want to bring them to Christ. So, that part was real heavy. I realize that. I realize that today is good... No, it's Palm Sunday. I was going to say Good Friday, but I'm getting ahead of myself, right? It's Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. What's next week? Easter, Easter week, right? What is Easter. Resurrection, right? It's a celebration of what it was that Jesus did. His rising again, right? To forgive our sins, to bring us to him, with him to heaven forever, right? And so obviously we can't leave on a heavy note at all. We need to leave on the note of joy. We need to leave on a note of celebrating. This is what all these people were doing, right? They were taking off their coats. They were grabbing the palm leaves. They were throwing them on the ground. They were praising him, right? The young people running out into the field, grabbing the palms, bringing them back. The children running around. The women, the men, the old people, everyone all around were doing this. At that time, they didn't understand they're celebrating, right? But at this time... Today, we understand what they were celebrating. So the band can come up. We're going to close with this quote from J.C. Ryle. And he says this. He says, Let us leave the passage with the cheering reflection that the joy of Christ's disciples at his entry into Jerusalem, when he came to be crucified, this whole thing that we're talking about today, all this joy will prove as nothing compared to the joy of his people when he comes again to reign. The first joy was soon broken off in exchange for sorrow and for bitter tears. The second joy shall be a joy forevermore. The first joy was often interrupted by bitter sneers of enemies who were plotting mischief. The second joy shall be liable to no such crude interpretations. Not a word shall be said against the king when he comes to Jerusalem the second time. Before him... Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. Father God, we come before you and we just praise you for all that you do. And Lord, we want to praise you. We want your spirit to help us to praise you. Sometimes we don't know how, but we need your Holy Spirit, Lord. I want to be... Lord, like those blind men who are watching. I want to be like the widow whose son was healed, Lord. I want to be like the woman who was healed after 12 years of bleeding. I want to be like the father and the mother of those children who were healed, who have just poured their hearts out.